he had literally said to me, I'm not going to validate your feelings. Several, oh, several times. That's red flag. Yeah. Like a banner. Like a banner. <laughs> over a castle. A crimson um, banner. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where we talk about the things that make us uncomfortable. Um, wow, that was kind of a new tagline. I've never done that before, but it just kind of slipped out. Maybe I'll keep it. Anyway, um, my name is Christina, your host, and right now I am in treatment for my eating disorder, which is why this intro is, uh, it's not on par with my other audio recordings, uh, so I apologize for any background noise or like weird laughs going on in the background. It's Saturday night and a bunch of people are playing games. Um, yeah, I don't even know where to start because so much has happened. Um, this is a really big change for me and I'm, I'm going through a lot of really difficult emotions. It's been a little over two, uh, two and a half weeks and so my body is finally stabilizing after years of mistreatment. But now I have all that extra energy to release a flood of emotions and like lots of things are coming up that I had previously like buried under my eating disorder. And so it's very emotionally exhausting. I'm dealing with a lot of really difficult things. I'm making a lot of exciting discoveries about myself and I'm planning to change a lot of things when I get out of here. I'll update you guys, of course, when the time is right. But for now, I'm releasing this interview I had with my friend Rachel a few weeks ago. She talks about her incarceration and all the things leading up to it, including a history of depression and an abusive relationship. So um, content warnings for both of those, but also um, she does talk about how her religion helped her get through it. And as you might know, I am not religious, but I don't want to censor anyone who is if it pertains to their mental health. And so if religion is something that triggers you, you might want to skip this one, but it's a great interview. So I'm going to jump right into that without wasting any more of your precious time. If you want to support the podcast, you can follow me on Instagram. (laughs) Um, If you want to be a guest, uh, I will be interviewing once more once I get out of here. I don't know when that will be. It could be a month. It could be two months. I don't know. Um, I'm probably going to do a mini-sode at one point where I update you more in depth about my experience so far and maybe pull out some of the old audio journals to share with you. But until then, if you want to say hi, because I get lonely in here, or if you want to um, offer yourself as a future guest, you can email picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com or just DM me on Instagram. All right, here's the interview and enjoy. Hi. Hey, stranger. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine, but I was going to take you off speakerphone. Oh, yeah, that's probably for the best. Okay, so I can just, like, kind of talk normally. Yeah. I am an advocate for talking normally most of the time. (laughs) Uh, Tally says hi. She is three and a half, and she doesn't see enough people these days, so she thinks everyone is her best friend. Literally every time we go to the, whenever she wants to go outside, she says she wants to go to the playground and see her friends. But friends just means like anyone her age. You're like, sweetie, I have a lot to tell you, but you can't understand. So you're just going to be really confused about a lot of things for a while. 
and yeah, slash um, possibly <laughs> traumatized in the future. Do you ever think about that? Like all of the stuff the kids are going through right now and they don't really understand and like how yeah. they're going to be all unpacking it in therapy years for years. <laughs> I mean, well, and I also think about that coupled with my unique situation and that we've been, they've been living with their grandparents for a year now, me a little less than that, more like nine months. Um, watching a lot more TV because this is not like the kid-friendly environment of like my own house that I would create. Yeah. So we have limited spaces to really explore and play. And it's hard because while Talia is three and a half and she can like, you know, kind of sit and play for a little while, Millie is 18 months and definitely at the age where she wants to be in everything and running around and doing a, just a lot hey, all the time. Oh, hi. So, Does she yeah. want to say hi? I'm not going to give you the phone, okay? You she should you say hi. You're supposed to make your toys. Just... say hi real quick. My sister. Hi. My sister. One and a half. You're three and a half? He's telling you my sister is one and a half. It was very cute. My sister. One and a half. Bye. Oh, my goodness. I think that's, um, she takes the record for youngest guest on the podcast before it was 16, but now... Oh, there we go. Dude, I can't believe you have kids now. Yeah, because when I met you, I felt so much older than you because I'm like, look, I'm a I'm a senior and you're a freshman and yeah. I pass along all this knowledge to you. And then I think we discovered pretty quickly that while it's not like I wasn't wise, have like a certain level of wisdom, that it's not that uh, we had more in common that we were more on the same level in a lot of areas well so um let me just summarize how we met real quick um it was at this bible school in oklahoma in 2010 actually a few episodes ago i had do you did you know key i don't think i knew her but i was familiar with her name so i think i knew people who knew her probably yeah so um it's pretty crazy that you know this year i've reconnected with you and her and a few other people from that school because uh, I went like I kind of left for a while and just separated myself from it but uh, my freshman year I met you and you introduced me to Arcade Fire which is like one of the most monumental bands of my life and or I had heard them before but you really got me into the suburbs like I, I remember sitting on the floor of your dorm room listening to the suburbs like from start to finish and that's like one of my favorite memories from that place. Oh, and that's just always going to be like, that's a, that's like a perfect 10 album. Yeah. So yeah, um, I just, just still love it. Like you can just listen to it start to finish and I'm like, yep, still good. Cause sometimes you can watch things or re-listen to things and you're like, okay, this was good then. And it captures a very specific period of my life, but it's just more so for the nostalgia, whereas it still feels fresh now when you listen to it, in my opinion. Oh, totally. Um, I, I agree 100%. So um, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners just in a nutshell? Um, like, um, what's sure. your name, how old you are, and what your current mental health situation is? Or like a brief history of your mental health? Um, yeah. So uh, my name is Rachel. I am 31. And, um, I guess I, I wrote like a little mini blog for, uh, world suicide prevention week. Um, I just posted on the Facebook. So to me, it's not really a real blog, but, um, I published that and I, I just referred to it as like the darkness because in different time, like when I, when my parents were getting divorced, like at one point I was diagnosed with depression, 
but it wasn't really like something where I went around at least. So this was, this would have been middle school, so like early two thousands. It wasn't really the time where everyone was going around saying like, Oh, I have this or this. And I always describe myself as a kind of child with her head in the clouds. So I just kind of remember just feeling really sad and feeling, I always just feel very, just strong feelings about everything. So I would like, I, when I would have a crush on a guy, it would like consume my whole life. And then whenever he'd be like, nah, fam, I'm good. I would feel absolutely crushed in the ED sense, crushed. Yep. Um, just feel everything so hard all the time. And just being like, well, I guess other kids, my peers, like are just not like something everybody like has not everyone just has very strong everything feelings all the time but that's really where as far as I can trace back anything like that um when you had those really strong feelings did you like was it obvious to the people around you or did you keep it inside um I never really reached out per se so when my parents um when my parents got divorced and then shortly after my mom was in a series of um, other marriages that were also extremely unhealthy. Me and my siblings, where I kind of think in my head we should have like kind of banded together and being like we're in this together. Our mom is, you know, a little uh, making some bad choices, but we can stick together. We kind of just separated, unfortunately, and did our own thing. And I was the oldest, and I was in high school, and my other siblings were in middle school and elementary school, and we just kind of were just kind of adrift, each one of us in our own way. Yeah, I'm also an oldest child. And so I get it. And that was one of the reasons why we bonded because it's, it's weird, because I don't know if you I don't really even think that you and I have like, psychological, oldest child personalities, because I always remember kind of feeling like I looking around like, oh, me? Are you sure there's not like someone else (laughs) would rather be looking at instead? Because just me is all I got. How how would you describe (laughs) the oldest child personality? Well, it's always, it's always typed as like this, you know, like headstrong leader and like take charge. And like, I gotten really into the Enneagram this year. And so like a type one is like the archetype of like, it's like an oldest child. So you need to school me on that because I've heard of it. This is, I'm a mental health podcast host, so I should know about this, but like, I don't, there's a sense that it's kind of like exploding now. And how, how do academics view it? Like, is it the next big thing? It's pretty big right now. Um, it is it is kind of fad-like. You'll see a lot of, if you just type in hashtag like your Enneagram number, like if I type in hashtag Enneagram 4, I'll see a lot of, I'll see a lot of just cute little things like, like I'll see like memes that are tagged or, or it'll be like Disney princesses by Enneagram type, which is cute. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I took every BuzzFeed quiz back in the day. Like, oh, yes, I do want to know what kind of cheese I like to eat on Sundays. (laughs) Um, But as far as Enneagram is concerned, what I really enjoy is actually using it for growth and development. So like when you see things that, for example, make you a little bit uncomfortable, but in a way that can help you grow, not like a thinks I hate it sort of way. Um, Like, why do I feel uncomfortable about this? And like, what can I learn about this? So you said you're number one. I'm a four and I'm four with a pretty heavy three wing. If anybody is listening, they might be like, ah, they're also Enneagram. So fours are known as artist types, very sensitive, self-absorbed, 
and feel very deeply, don't want to have these surface level conversations, really want to get to the heart of the matter. Um, but the thing about the Enneagram is that it, it comes down to your core fears and motivations. Gotcha. And I am not like certified Enneagram anything. But when you look at the type descriptions, because at the end of the day, you might take a quiz online or something. I was going to say, say, I'm probably going to, I think I have to do that now. <laughs> yeah. So basically what you ought to do, I think you might take a quiz to kind of narrow it down to a couple of numbers. And then I would go and look at the Enneagram descriptions, your, your core fears and motivations, um, because those things should make you feel seen, but also make you feel a little bit weird. Like, wait, hold up a minute. Whereas I feel like Myers-Briggs is more like how you do, how you behave. It's like a validation um, versus like a challenge. Yeah. So with the Enneagram, it's less how you do things and more like why you do things. Because I have another friend who's a four who also makes me feel very seen. And we have a lot of things in common because of that. But she's more cerebral than I am. So it's less what you do than how you do it. Because there's also things like subtypes and like what triad are you in? Since you that. discovered your type, um, has that changed the way you think about yourself or like the way you approach mental health? It has helped me to examine myself through a lens of, you know, I've always, I've always, I've kind of gone back and forth between I'm different, I'm special, I like being different, special, or, you know, in like the middle of the 2000s being hashtag random. I liked being all those things. I liked being quirky. Going back and forth between that and like, oh my God, I hate myself. Yeah. And that like dichotomy that exists when you're unique and you're like, actually, I hate that I'm unique. I want someone to identify with. So um, because one of the things about fours is that we like to be unique, kind of the growth in that it's okay if you're not. Also, it's just yeah. it's okay if you're not. Um, well, I've I always seen you. To- I've, I've always seen you as unique and like artistic. Um, like you're a writer a really gifted writer I mean that's one of the I think we connected over that too pretty early on did you work on the at the student paper with me or was that someone else um I don't remember if we were there at the same time but I know that I wrote for the yearbook for a while and then after that I was a section editor of newspaper but I um helped edit the literary magazine and then you helped to do that when I was gone and do some of the graphic design work that's right I have a question for you. Do you remember pieces of flair? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I feel like most people won't even know what that is, but um, it's just one of the relics of the early 2000s. It's just like gone now. Was there, yeah. w- when you were like going through all your early teenage angst, did you have Tumblr or was it like MySpace back then? Um, it was before that, and I'm gonna date myself here. <laughs> so yes, I so before MySpace, I had a Zanga. Oh right? my god, Zanga! <laughs> I did have a Tumblr in college, by the way. I did have one in college, but before that, so before MySpace, I had a Zanga, and before Zanga, I had this thing that was called Teen Open Diary, and it oh, was the that's a deep free, cut. Yeah, that was the free ad-riddled version of Open Diary. What's Open Diary? It was that was like the supposed to be like the paid version of Teen Open Diary, supposedly. I don't or like the one for adults. I don't know. I don't entirely remember. But like, yes, I have always overshared and I've overshared on the Internet. And I'm glad that those things are 
not really going to come back to me for the most part. <laughs> yeah, there, I go through moments where I wish I had all that stuff I posted way back then. Um, I mean, I used a site called Homeschool Blogger when I was a teenager, uh, and it's obviously That's... defunct now. But um, I don't know. Do you keep all your old writing and stuff to reflect on now? I have some. I actually found more because I had a, a friend of my mom's. I had him make me a website to be a portfolio. And again, early 2000s. So it definitely looks like a website from the early 2000s for sure. <laughs> Uh, a couple months ago, Facebook messaged me and was like, hey, I still have this. I put it back online for you because I guess he had taken it offline. But, like he still had all the stuff. So I looked at it and it wasn't actually that terrible. Like it's not very, I don't want to say mature. I don't even know exactly. It's more, it's more like, like, like it's more amateur than what I would write right now. But it's actually not like the worst thing. There's like some level of curating that had happened. I don't entirely remember the circumstances, though, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about going through the phases of feeling different and embracing that and then trying to be normal and fit in. And I think the, the same thing applies to, like, our old work. Like, you go through phases of being really proud of it and then embarrassed by it, and then maybe later you'll pick it up and look at it and you're like, oh, wow, that's not as bad as I thought. Like, that's been the case with me with, like, journals, for instance. Yeah, I actually I used to keep all my all my old journals. I think I ended up keeping only a few. But I found that and this maybe is a little unpopular, but I found that at least for me, I was reading them and not looking at it with a growth mindset. So maybe I should have kept them and then just thought, looked at them, but whenever I would refine them again, like whenever I moved or moved a box or something, I'd get lost in there and I'd just get lost in a rabbit hole because I think my brain does this funny thing where it kind of closes the door on certain periods of my life and it like takes something to reopen it. Um, I wouldn't call the trigger. I just call it like open a door. Like I taught high school French for three years before I became a stay at home mom. And um, that was in yeah, 2014 to 2017 more or less and um like I'll have I have a couple of stories like a couple of really funny highlights that I do remember that I will tell people to get a laugh or to be like oh kids these days whatever get off my lawn kind of conversation <laughs> yeah but otherwise like most of the memories I feel like they're just kind of behind a door and it takes like some effort to go and open it or I will have also very strong, vivid memories of very particular moments where it's like I know what it, I know what it smelled like. I know what the lighting was like. I know what I was the music I was listening oh, to. Oh, music transports like me back a lot. Exactly. So it's like I have these like two different kinds of memories, and otherwise I feel like my brain just doesn't work like the same way, which is okay. But I wish I could just be like, oh yeah, ten years ago I was doing this kind of thing be like I don't know do I have like a random memory of me creating one of those Zanga entries yeah I, I think I have one well I think our, our generation is kind of weird because um you know past generations didn't have all this social media to record their lives on and we kind of were in like the transitional phase of that like the TikTok generation or whatever like they have it's like supercharged with like I don't envy them that I don't think anyone can look be like this day 10 years ago I was doing this like I think we all rely on memories uh, for better and for worse because you know sometimes it's hard to trust your memories and we also rely on like journals and websites and stuff but um, going back to your family history we skipped ahead a little bit 
Um, you were in middle school when your parents divorced? Yes. But uh, my dad had a long, had a, uh, a chronic illness my whole life that affected my family dynamic quite a bit to the extent that I don't really know how my life would have turned out differently. Um, so he had a, he had a chronic renal failure. So he did dialysis, um, in our basement of our home, which normally people go to a center to do that. So instead of your kidneys filtering out all of your toxins, like your liver does. So your kidneys filtering out all of your toxins and then creating urine, um, the dialysis machine does it for you. There's an artificial kidney and it filters your whole blood through the machine. That sounds intense. Yeah, it is intense. My dad was very intense because he didn't trust anyone. My mom was his nurse, and that led to them eventually getting divorced. But that's a whole other story. Oh um, he, like, stuck his own needles in himself um, because he wouldn't trust anyone else to do it right. And he did it at our home so he could kind of control the environment. He could be comfortable. He had a chair set up at the perfect angle to watch TV while he was doing that. Um, I remember a lot of times bringing down plates of dinner that my mom had made. Um, just set on his dinner tray, you know, everything very just, just so, and everything revolved around that. Now he had a regular day job and then he would come home and he would do dialysis a couple times a week, but it profoundly shaped our family dynamic because everything revolved around that. Whereas most families, everything kind of revolves around the kids more or less. How did that make you feel? Yeah. Well, just kind of as an example of the family dynamic. So my mom and my grandmother both did ballet when they were younger. My grandma still does dance, actually, like at church and stuff. But uh, they both did ballet. My mom, uh, now ballet is expensive, and you basically have to start when you're like six months old. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's very expensive, and you get to, have to get all of, like the clothes and stuff. Well, she had gotten all that. She got the clothes. There was a lady at church who had paid for me to take lessons. She'd like prepaid. She paid for me to take lessons, which was an extraordinary gift, especially because there was already – I think there might have been already three of us at that time. Maybe my youngest brother was a baby. Maybe How many uh, siblings I'm, do you have? So I have three full siblings. I have my sister Alexis and I have two step siblings. Okay. So we had this whole ballet thing set up and I went to one like trial lesson. I remember a little bit. It's, it's kind of hazy, but I remember like watching people dance. I remember like getting dressed. I don't remember if I did anything. But um, I had this one trial, essentially, but then everyone figured out that it wasn't going to work with my dad's dialysis schedule because my mom had to be there to help him. She had to be there to make sure that he ate dinner. So, no, nothing else mattered. It didn't matter if we got, like, a sitter or it didn't matter could we, like, change the day. Like, no, nothing else mattered. He had to keep his schedule exactly how it was. He had to do his dialysis exactly how he had always done, and we could not make adjustments because I was going to take ballet. So I didn't take ballet. Did that cause you to, like, act out for attention? Or was your impulse more to just kind of blend into the background and shut up? Some I wouldn't even say it was necessarily blend in, but I'm definitely type to withdraw. So I always have my nose in a book. Um, I tell people now that reading is the cheapest way to take a vacation. And that's what I did. I was yeah. all on vacation. People talk about escapist literature like it's a bad thing. But to me, escapist literature was literally anything. I was in the middle of Kansas. I didn't care if I was reading about some other kid and he also lived in the suburbs. The point was, it wasn't my life. So to me, it's all escapism. What did you read as a kid? What were your favorite books? So I read all of the Babysitter's Club books and I read all of the Animorphs books. 
<laughs> and basically anything at the library. But oh yeah, my God, the those library, were the ones that I, I I can just close my eyes and think back to my childhood library and it um it's therapeutic. Oh yeah. And then it has like a special weird smell. Yes. That never be replicated because it's like some combination of the books and whatever they use to clean the floors and whatever sort of like perfume or spray that like the women working behind the counter would wear which inevitably was probably not very trendy but it's all combined together Uh, (laughs) i would pay good money to bottle that smell (laughs) (laughs) um okay so going into high school like did things change at all like how how long was your dad doing that treatment in the basement so by that point so my parents divorced when i was in middle school and then he was he still did it at the home for a while and had like a nurse that he had hired in to help. And then he moved to going to a, um, like a, a center, either getting a ride, arriving himself, depending on how he was feeling, going to like a center. And yeah, most people who are on dialysis, by the way, are like end stage diabetics. There's not very many people who just have straight up renal failure, especially people who live because of dialysis, because he had zero function. He had zero function in his kidneys, which means that like he had to dialyze a certain number of hours, a certain number of days because he had zero. Whereas some people might have some, they did some dialysis to keep everything kind of just in equilibrium. As far as I remember, I have a lot of useless kidney knowledge. So now you get to be the recipient of that. Yay. All of you. I knew there was something missing from my life. <laughs> right. There you go. Um, how did how did your parents' divorce change the dynamic? The dynamic. I mean, it was really like I was just kind of floating on an island by myself. And then I feel like it just kind of reinforced that, like, okay, well, and it was not an amicable divorce. I had heard the term later um like oh we divorced amicably and I was like I don't know what that means it because does that even exist you know yeah like I had you know my 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 dad sat us down and told us that my mom was leaving him for another man and I was like 12 13 oh shit that's, that's not heavy. appropriate that's not appropriate I was the oldest and he sat all three of us down and told us that did it come as a surprise to you you know I knew that they fought a lot and I don't know if I really thought a lot of feelings, if I if I thought a lot of cohesive thoughts about it, because I'm just so heart centered. I just kind of just felt bad all the time. So, and it was just kind of like a very fuzzy kind of like, okay, this is just how it is. I just was adrift. I was just kind of floating along on the consequences of other people's choices because I'm young. I couldn't do anything. I started to it started to kind of crystallize into just where I could call it hatred that I hated what my life looked like, but it was just kind of a very fuzzy nebulous. I don't like this for a long time. And I couldn't even have told you why I'm just like, I don't like this. And I just kind of, I'm a very, I'm very slow to like (laughs) kind of grow and I'm very slow to like learn things. And even when I have a new job like this, like the new skills that you learn with a job, you know, it, it takes me longer than other people. Even now I've been at my current job since March and the, what we call side work, whenever I'm like trying to leave the restaurant, I'm just slower than everybody else. And it just has taken me a really long time, really in the past year, just kind of accept. I'm just, I'm just kind of slow. I'm just slow with things and that's okay. 
But yeah, it took me a long time to really figure out, you know, that from my my core base personality that just tends to feel things and get sad to kind of be able to put words to it. It took me a very long time to be able to put words to those things. You mentioned earlier feeling everything feelings like all the time. Um, Do you feel like as you got older and you left the house and went to college, you got better at dealing with those feelings? Because we mentioned writing too. Uh, when did you start writing? I remember in eighth grade being actively encouraged by a teacher. And that makes so much difference, especially when like home was weird, but I was going to school every day and seeing the same teachers every day. So I remember being actively encouraged in eighth grade and that made a big difference. And it was kind of like a moment where you lift up your head and look around and you're like, oh, all right, this is okay. This is something. So it was kind of like what I said about um, being able to name things. Um, I don't know, really, by the time I got to college, I was getting better at naming things, but I was also feeling more things. And they were getting more detailed, like as if first I had a blank piece of paper, and I didn't know that it was a piece of paper. And I was like, Oh, this is paper. And there were lines on it. And then like the lines are getting colored in and the lines are getting more elaborate like those like adult coloring books that are super popular right now and just like becoming a more and more detailed picture and like the colors getting deeper and like more and it wasn't just red yellow blue we're talking the entire rainbow and then just at some point it just felt like on some days or some weeks that like someone took a bottle of ink and just threw it all over this beautiful picture that I was trying to develop within myself So I'm really curious about hearing more from your perspective during that time, because when I met you, you were kind of like a role model to me or like a big sister figure. And I didn't I I, we talked about my problems a lot, but I want to know like what you were going through at the time, like how you were dealing with the feelings that were starting to come up for you. Um, not not well. And I mean, it depends on, I guess, when when you would be talking to me, but I mean, a lot of like romantic and sexual feelings for other guys that would go unrequited. And the older I got during that time, it was still, it was like, it was stronger and stronger as opposed to kind of just being around the like 16, 18, like year old, um, teenage years. It just felt like I got stronger as I was in college. Did you date at that school? Um, I did not ever date anyone at that school. I always, I always wanted to be with, I always wanted to be with guys that were at school, but I had dated a couple of times guys who were home that I would see like on breaks and stuff, which didn't ever work out. So really during that time, most of my feelings transitioned into, um, instead of kind of feeling uncomfortable, like, oh, this is who I am as a person. I'm not really like this. It makes me feel gross. It was, I feel gross about this because of how I feel about this other person or how they make me feel about myself. You know, the fact that they didn't like me back or they didn't notice me, I would just like, it would just burn so much. And so writing has been an outlet since high school, for sure. It was originally just like, oh, like, I hate this part of my life. I hate that I'm just kind of floating along. And then in college, I had more agency, but I was falling for these guys who didn't like me back. And so then the transition to do I hate this 
I pine for the sky. I love the sky. Or I would invent really interesting metaphors for love because I was like, in my mind, not allowed to say that I love them because we weren't together. I remember thinking this very strongly, that I can't say I love them because we're not together. Like I'm not allowed to do that. I remember thinking that so much. And so it challenged me creatively to think of other ways to describe how I felt about them. And when you say them, (laughs) are you talking about guys that you had crushes on or that you had feelings for, but didn't return those feelings? Yes. Either didn't return those feelings. There was one guy who actively strung me along and he later told me now I actually got active closure. I actually got a little bit of closure from this one. He told me later, but he strung me along to be his plan B in case this other girl that he was trying to get with that didn't work out. Why the fuck would you tell someone that? No, this was after the fact. And like, it was more, this was the resolution. So I was amazed that he admitted that to me, but I was very appreciative that he did. Is there anything else you want to talk about during that phase of your life? Because I might be pushing us forward a little, but I remember your wedding. It it was like in, in 2012, I think. So I got married in 2013. Yeah. Um, Yeah, which is a really long way from now. So it's weird reflecting on this relationship because I am currently trying to get out of that relationship. Okay. Um, And I apologize if I, like, I'm not really caught up with you, so feel free to, like, guide the conversation in other ways. (laughs) I'm a chronic overshare. It's totally fine. Yeah, and I'm also the kind of person who tends to overshare to try to get guys to like me, which is just even better. <laughs> so, how did you meet the guy that you married in 2013? Um, I met him at the school. I was a junior, he was a sophomore. We were both in the same tutoring program. And so at least like for musical preferences, I only ever met like as far as Christian music specifically i only knew people who either listened to like worship music or like the pop punk stuff like reliant k and i was still in this time in in this time where i thought i was too cool for any of that i skipped straight from my mom's favorite amy grant Stephen curtis chapman like the height of the 90s i skipped straight from that to like under oath and like kind of those adjacent bands I skipped over the pop punk phase and I thought I was better than everyone else for it. Like the hipster movement, I could never afford to look like an emo kid, but I was one at heart. And after that, I could never afford to look like a hipster, but I was one. Like, Oh my I God, just... same. And I feel like <laughs> Christian hipsters are, were like a special breed of their own. Yeah, Like exactly. at that school, it was, well, I'll let you talk about it. No, I was just going to say that, um, so this guy, like, he was listening to, like, actual rock music that I liked, that I knew, as opposed to, like, whatever Hillsong song was really popular at the time. And I told him he had good taste in music, and he was like, oh, thanks. And then that was, like, when we met, we were both doing this, like, tutoring thing. He was tutoring, like, math kids. I was tutoring English and getting nowhere because no one showed up to get tutored by me. (laughs) Um, so that was when we met and then we connected when the next year I was a senior and he, he had actually gotten hired on to work full time in the IT department, even though we hadn't graduated yet. And for some reason that really impressed me. Well, all Um, these things you're listing is impressive to me. Like, I feel like when you're a Christian girl in, in that world, but like, not like other Christian girls, like you listen to mainstream media and stuff, like it doesn't take that much 
Like, you're surrounded by all those Christian dudes you're talking about. So when one of them has, like, normal tastes, you're, like, you just fall in love on the spot. Like, that's my ex that I met at that school also. Like, he listened to the White Stripes, and I was like, oh, my God, sold. (laughs) Right. So he wasn't even what I consider, like, oh, I listen to mainstream stuff. He was just, like, a different brand of weirdo, and it was refreshing. Um, So that's when we initially connected. I basically, so (laughs) I was working for the, I was working for the student newspaper at the time, and I invented a reason to interview him. Because he was a very reserved person. I invented a reason to interview him so I could get him to tell me more things about how he got hired. Smooth. Yeah. And also, so again, reserved, introverted, hates anything kind of public or anything like that. And yet, not only did I interview him and his name was like in this article in the paper, we also obviously had to get a picture of him. And to make it even worse, slash better... The article was originally supposed to be like alumni who have come back to like serve the community by teaching. But his kind of interview didn't really fit thematically with everybody else's. So he ended up in an article by himself. Oh, that's so with awkward. His picture, just him by himself. I bet he loved that. I reflect back and I think, how did he look at that and think, you know what? I hate this. Let's go ahead and pursue it. Anyway. <laughs> Again, I don't really know much about what's happened with you since the last time I saw you was your wedding in 2013. So, you know, it sounds like things kind of went downhill. Like, do you want to talk about your courtship and marriage and I don't know, lead the way? Um, Yeah. So I had a lot of there were a lot of red flags that I ignored, unfortunately. And there were some events that I looked back on and now I'm horrified by them and things that he told me that I was and was not allowed to do that horrify me. Um, Expectations that were placed upon me that I accepted. I was like, yeah, I'll do this. And he would follow up and because he wasn't satisfied with my performance in like certain areas and be like, okay, I'll work on it. You know, just was never, it was never good enough. Now, I do believe that in in any relationship, especially uh, sexual relationships as well, communication is key. Whatever kind of relationship you have, you both know what kind of relationship you have. And you both are like, everyone knows what's going on. It turned into like a, I'm going to tell you this thing and we're going to do it. Not like a, we're just going to communicate. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to air this because I've been thinking like harboring this fantasy. It turned into, okay, here's my fantasy and I want to do it. Let's make like an action step plan to go and achieve this fantasy. And I would be like, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. And he would, instead of being like, okay, you know, I'm glad we talked about it. I aired that to you. No, it became... Why? Why do you not like this? Let's examine why you don't like this thing that I brought up to you. Why you don't want to do it. And he would systematically try to convince me and like normalize behavior to me that he wanted me to actively help with and or participate in. So it sounds kind of one sided. There was a lot that's being unpacked about this relationship. And um, I'm still working on that. But basically, it, uh, it led to me going to jail around a year ago. Um, right before Christmas. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, how, I mean, what are you comfortable talking about? Like, <sighs> do you feel it's pretty new to you? Like, how do you feel about it? 
Um, yeah, it's a lot because at the time I took what I did upon myself and it actually took a lot. Like even I was being questioned by the police and I was sticking to this like lie that I had created. And then I told them the truth and I still got arrested and I was just kind of shocked. And I was not, I wasn't even thinking to myself, you know, when I get out of jail, I'm divorcing that, you know, you know, SOB or whatever. I like never thought any of that, but I was forced to reexamine my life because I would be, I would have, I would have these evenings. I would have these, you know, nights with him um, once the kids were asleep and we'd be talking about these things that again, make me very uncomfortable and be like, no, let's do it. Let's do it. We were talking about this stuff and we would argue and argue and then I would relent and we would do whatever and then uh, we would make up and then I'd be like, all right, everything's great now. And then in the morning I would be, I would be driving my kids to the library or something else, the mother kind of mother thing. Yeah. And I'd be thinking on the drive in my minivan, this is not okay. I don't like this. This is, I don't, mm. this and I would have just kind of still moment where God would be talking to me, be like, Hey, are you, are you okay with how your life is? And I'd be like, no, I don't really like that. This is my life right now. But then I would feel stuck and I wouldn't do anything. And the cycle would just keep repeating and repeating and repeating. Oh, so let's go back to the beginning of that story leading up to you going to jail. Um, you had your kids by that point and you'd been married, what, like um, five years, six years? Yeah, I've been married about six years, so we're thinking like a year ago. Yeah, it was six years. Okay, and you you said you were feeling these feelings of unrest and, you know, unease for a while, but you weren't doing anything about it. So what what led up to that one event that changed everything? Okay, so um, he had expressed these certain fantasies, and, like, I was like, well okay, I don't really want to do that. And he was like, no, but I want to do that. Let's talk about why you don't want to do it. And let's like figure this out. And he was trying to convince me for a very long time. And so this whole time now concurrent with this, he was unsatisfied with how frequently we had sex and like how we had sex. And he had like these different things that he wanted to be doing. And I was like, you know, wanting to like, wanting him to be happy, which is like a normal thing that gets perverted because sure. you want your person to be happy and then it gets twisted up sometimes. Um but also you had two young children. And so you were... by the point <sighs> yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I have feelings. No, no, I mean you're right. Like I, I by that point, but I'm just tracing back like feeling progressively more and more horrible about myself at the same time that all of this is happening where I had been thinking for several years like I mean, at first it was like a passive, like, well, if a bus ran me over, like, would that really be so bad? Um, And then it became like, I did struggle a little bit with some self-injury when I was in college. And I find it fascinating how these self-destructive tendencies just come out in different ways. And that was mine for a brief period. I just so strongly just felt like I hated myself by that point. And so then I was married and I was still having this. It's like, it's like it came back from somewhere yeah. uh, from deep inside. It came back and it was manifesting differently. I like felt really bad. And then it was thoughts like, well, if I wasn't pregnant, then I don't know what I would do. Or if I did not have, 
you know, my daughter, I don't know what I would do. And then it was, if I wasn't pregnant again and have my other daughter, then I don't know what I'd be doing right now. Like I would never, I'm not like a concrete plan sort of a person. I always have these just kind of, I just have lots of feelings and then they overwhelm me. And then I kind of like do things in the heat of the moment. But Do you um, like distract yourself? Yeah. Or I just try to write it out or I would like make it worse by listening to music that just made me feel worse. Oh my god, I feel called out by that. Yeah. It's really hard to switch your music. Like, I've, like, tried, um, like, I I have definitely had moments where I'm like, I need to listen to something else. And it's hard because I want to ride the wave that I'm on right now. Yeah, I don't think you should always try to, like, shut up that that part of you that needs to feel the pain. And um, music can be really powerful for that. I think you can take it too far, but, you know, it's a balancing act. Yeah, recognizing when that happens is so hard because recognizing when you're like, like the equivalent of watching yourself cry in the mirror, like at what point is it becoming that? It's yeah. very difficult. But you you felt like in, at that time you were like pushing those feelings aside or like trying to like. So I I would have them and then I'd be like, wow, I feel so horrible. And then. I would just wouldn't do anything and eventually it would subside. And so then I would just keep living my life. And it was just felt like I was just kind of circling the drain for so long. And that was the best thing about going to jail was that I was forced to reckon with myself. I had to look myself in the mirror, having to reckon with the choices that I had made, like in my relationship and in my life to base my choice of not making a choice, which is a choice when I had not chosen to leave. Okay. When I essentially was kind of forced to leave in a way because we were physically separated and I did not have uh, my two daughters with me for three months. That was including after I get out of jail, about three months total. I was not living with my children, which was the hardest time. How long were you in jail? It was two weeks. It was just about two weeks. Longest two weeks of my life, I swear. It was very weird. It was like Twilight Zone. Oh, I bet. Um, I'm super super curious because... It's a very unique perspective that you just said, like, almost it being a good thing, like, forcing you to kind of deal with stuff. Uh, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. um, And I tell people this. I'm not going to, like, and I'm not going to censor myself for your podcast, but it was definitely a God moment for me. And to me, God is very real in my life. And I don't mean this from, like, a God sent me to jail. But I mean that I was alone in my jail cell and it had been a lot of a lot of evangelical Christians, especially like to place a very high importance on hearing the okay, you can go upstairs and have a cookie on hearing the audible voice of God. It is like a very important thing. And I thought that I was missing it out because I'd only ever had that experience maybe once or twice in my life. But I thought yeah. like, well, should that be more? And there's all this like, oh, you hear him in the quiet the quiet times like yeah, I'm not really quiet because I have my music really loud I don't know when that's gonna happen when you said that I pictured like a Pinterest graphic of like uh, a tree or something with like this font that says listen to him yep. in the quiet <laughs> that probably exists that's probably a real thing yeah. for sure but it doesn't happen like that like it's a very personal thing that you experienced um I think it can we can get caught up in comparing our experiences to others with whatever it is, not even religion, but, you know, enlightenment of any kind. You're like, why can't I experience that that same way? Yeah, exactly. But um, 
I heard God clearly and it wasn't even so much like, well, I didn't have music. I didn't have my kids, but there were a lot of distractions that were stripped away for better or for worse. And where I just really got to thinking like, and it was now I have different struggles now because motherhood is hard as fuck. Oh my God. Okay. I, I really you. have not cursed hardly at all on this because on the phone it's weird and also i usually for some reason reserve all of my cursing from when i'm at work because i work <laughs> at a restaurant that's like restaurant culture oh but, say no more um, yeah exactly but um i have different struggles now but i no longer pass even passively want to die because i do feel like i don't know how to say this in a non-cliche way but i have a lot to live for yeah. and it was kind of once i had I had all of these that were all of these things that were taken from me. And it was the theme of my life for so long that things were taken from me. But then I had to think to myself, what am I going to take back? What am I going to hold on to during this time where I feel like everything is taken away? And it made me feel like I was in high school all over again. Just kind of, you know, my mom married this guy. He was awful. My mom married this other guy. He was awful. My dad was in the hospital for over a year because shortly after my parents got divorced, my dad got an infection from his kidney machine because he didn't clean it because the, the nurse he had hired didn't clean it as thoroughly as my mom used to clean it. So he oh, got wow. an infection he was in the hospital for a long time. He came out with the body of an old man. And it was weird because he was in his 40s. Oh, shit. Um, like he was only 49 when he when when he passed away. It was just weird. But he looked way, way older, at least 20 years older. Well, that must have been really rough for you. Yeah, so just feeling just like things are just happening to me all the time. It was like, it's happening again. Things are happening to me because I've always been so bad at making a choice. I've always been so bad about doing something, whether it be the wrong thing. I was always paralyzed with indecision because I could never pick anything. But here I was in jail and I had to choose. I had to choose things. I had to choose what I was going to say. I had to choose what I was going to do when I got out of jail. I had to choose going forward. Was I going to stay married? Was I going to pursue counseling? Was I going to, like, what was I doing? Am I going to accept this plea agreement or am I not? Like, I had a lot of choices I had to make and no one could make them for me and they could not be put off. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, like, you couldn't, no man. Like, said, like, procrastinating was no longer an option. Like, you had to deal with that stuff. Yeah, so I had to look at myself in the mirror and I had to look at myself in a metaphorical mirror and say to myself, what are you choosing to do? And so I chose to live and I chose to stay here. And I, um, when I would say one of my lowest moments, um, there's a, they have a lot of limits on mail that you can receive. Um, where I was, you could mail pictures, but you could only send 10 pictures. I had been communicating with my grandma and um, I was not allowed to speak with my mom because it was, she was involved in the case. Mm. But she talked to my mom on my behalf and um, they were like going to mail me pictures of my daughters. And I really wanted them before I went to a particular court date. And um, they were working on them. They sent them. But I never received them because they sent too many. I didn't get them. And they what they sent me instead was a slip of paper that said, someone tried to send mail to you. The limit is 10. And enclosed were 28. So they didn't give you the option to just, like, take out a few or... No, which means they they open this envelope containing pictures of my beautiful children. I mean, honestly, they're like they're way more adorable than like the genetics would have like allowed <laughs> them to be. It's kind of unfair. Well, they which means they open this envelope. They took out the pictures. They counted twenty eight pictures of my beautiful children, and then were like, nah. And then 
wrote this like thing to me. It was that's so fucked. It up. was so heartless. It was so heartless to me. That's that's like beyond messed up. I, I can't imagine being like having to experience that. Yeah, like that was one of my lowest moments where I couldn't even I couldn't even have these pictures because they didn't send the right number because they were they were like trying to help me and send a picture so they sent a lot of pictures but they didn't read the fine print as to like what they were allowed to send me that that is a low point for sure how long did it take you after you were in jail how long did it take you to start kind of feeling like you had a fire under your butt because I mean my first impulse would probably be to just break down and and crumple into myself so when when I got out, I was on it was on condition of house arrest, and I was on bail. So the bail bondsman took me in his truck to like the house arrest, like where you sign up for it, which was like half an hour away. And I remember I'm just sitting, and it was like a really nice truck. He was like one of those guys that had like a nice truck. <laughs> and I remember just sitting, and I can see outside because Christina. Even when I went to court dates, they took us. It was across the street. The courthouse was across the street. Even when they took us to court, like my ankles were shackled, which those hurt, by the way. They rub on your ankles. They're not very fun. They took us underground through tunnels. So I had not seen the sunshine or like the outdoors. There was like a little tiny hole. So like there was technically a window in my cell, but it was covered on the outside of the building by like two layers of something so if I put my face up against the window and squinted, I could see like part of the parking lot, but I had not been outside in two weeks. That sounds like overkill to not let you like, maybe I'm being ignorant, but what the fuck? No, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I was sitting, I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the bail bondsman's truck going to the house arrest place. I just, I actually felt, I felt at peace because I was moving forward, even though it was whatever it was, it was not jail. And like the first, um, the first couple of weeks, my grandma was watching my kids during the day and I was living with my grandma. So she would come back in the evening and she would have just seen them like all day. So I'm by myself in her apartment. I just, I watched a lot of sermons on YouTube and colored in coloring books. And I felt very peaceful very grateful for where I was and I still am now because even like literally a year ago I was sitting in jail a year ago because I didn't get out till January 2nd 3rd I'll have to look at my journal to see speaking of beginnings like what was it like spending New Year's Eve there like did you do anything or it was weird but um because also I had spent Christmas in jail as well and the Christmas part was sadder I remember thinking that this year could not get worse and you know what? Even with COVID, I don't think anything beats that. I don't <sighs> think anything beats starting 2020 in jail. Wow, that's a lot. Like, having experienced that and then having experienced the last year, like, how has the last year been for you? Like, how do you feel like your mental health has changed? <sighs> um, My mental health struggles just kind of directly relate to... The things that I'm dealing with, the the relational trauma I've experienced, um, coupled with I had to basically get to know my kids again. And I was essentially able to be with them again because of COVID. So I've been at my parents' house since March. So I originally was in the in this area of the country to celebrate Christmas. 
And then all the shit went down with jail. Then I went to jail and I was in jail for two weeks. My kids were still here that whole time. And they were living with my parents that whole time. And then for about three months total before I re-entered the picture. So they were here and um, there was concern. I was not welcome here. So that's why I was, I was with my grandma. So I was not welcome here at the house. I would see them in person maybe once a week, which was weird considering I'd been a stay-at-home mom before that. And I would video call sometimes during the day. So then in March, everything was about to get shut down because of COVID. Because here, uh, the state of Kansas and Missouri both went on lockdown. It was just before they put in the mask mandate. And so that was about to happen. It was basically like, it was like three days. It was like, on Monday, we're going into lockdown. No one go anywhere except for what's necessary. And my family decided that I was allowed to move back in. Because my mom had been lobbying for me at this point for a while, but not everyone else was on board. So they were finally like, okay, she can move in. So I moved back in because they were concerned that I wasn't going to be able to see them. It was really weird because, like, I didn't trust these people. I didn't know my kids, really. I had not been with them, and now that I was with them, it was very strange. It was very strange. (laughs) There's, like, a whole another hour that could be spent just on motherhood issues maybe if you have like a sequel podcast yes you know <laughs> on the future call me back and we'll talk about all of that and you'll be like oh my god rachel how did you do it i'll be like i don't know i don't know i I'm really still don't doing know it. you know life <laughs> yeah, struggles exactly. never ends yeah exactly so <clears throat> it was very strange because we were getting to know each other i'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants yeah it was very similar to when i was very first teaching so you know school year starts in august I do not remember anything between August and like fall break in October of that very first year that I taught at the high school. It, it takes a special person to be a teacher. Like I could never do it. Well, I'm not sure I could do it again because of the logistics of it being just such an involved job. Yeah. And it's so thankless. <laughs> um, and I have enough of a thankless job right now. <laughs> so very similar to that period when I was starting out as teaching and that I was just going just going day to day, just trying to get through each day and just figure it out as I go. It was just a very similar feeling. That's all any of us can do, right? Like, especially this year, I think a lot of people's foundations have kind of crumpled. And it sounds like you got a head start on that in a way, like your, your world crashed around you a year ago. And so by the time COVID rolled around, you were like, you know what, I can, I can deal with this. But um, what, what did you tell your daughters about where you were? Like, did they ask you questions about it? Um, like, how have you broached that since getting out, I guess? We have not really. Um, so Talia was like two and a half. And that's kind of in an awkward stage where like they remember what's happening right now. But she's just now getting to the point where she might remember certain things now when she's older. I don't know if it counts as trauma um, because you remember traumatic events. Like, OK, so my like little nugget. My grandma, who is from France, who like literally like lived in Paris when she was a child, mm-hmm. is 81. Okay, so she was very young. Um, she was born in 1939. Just to do the math for I'm you. Mimi. Oh, now she knows I'm talking about Mimi. So Mimi <laughs> was born in 1939, and she remembers Hitler's tanks rolling oh through God. the streets of Paris when France fell to the Nazis in 41. And she would have only been two at most three, but it was a traumatic event. The entire country was in mourning. It was a traumatic event. So I hope, my hope is that they remember nothing. My hope is that I say, hey, 
Remember when we lived with Gigi and Papa for a while? Now that is something we can talk about. Like when we lived with Gigi and Papa for a while, because now we've been here for like a year. I'm not talking to Mimi right now, okay? <laughs> I think she wants to tell you how great Mimi is. We love Mimi very much. We have yes. Gigi and Papa and Mimi, and we have our aunts and uncles, and we've got a lot of people who love my girls. And I didn't have that when I was in Oklahoma because they were here and I was there. And yeah. that's what's very strange about me trying to figure out where I'm going to go forward, especially once I'm not on probation, I'm allowed to go where I want. Like, where do I go? Because my friends are in Oklahoma. You can't make new friends during COVID. I have like one yeah. couple friend, like that's it. That's all I've got up here. And I have my family. And then if I go to Oklahoma, logistically, they'll be near their father and my friends, but not my family. I have a few questions about motherhood. Um, and maybe this can kind of help us wrap up. I don't know. But like moving forward with your daughters, like how do you plan on addressing your own struggles and mental health in general? But like specifically, like you said, you're an oversharer. Uh, I see you as a very strong person, not necessarily because of what you've been through, but I mean, also that, but also because you talk about it. You're very honest and vulnerable. I mean, I mean, talking to me about this on the podcast, for instance. But like, how do you plan as your daughters get older to talk to them about this stuff? Yeah, I think um, because I know the value of labeling what you feel. It can give power, but it can also take power away. Because by saying that I struggled with depression, that I struggled with, I mean, I, I, I didn't call it depression. Should I have? Maybe. I'm not entirely sure if that would have helped. Yeah. But naming things is important. I know that even right now, to be completely honest, when this has been actually not a great day for me, and I found myself being very triggered by the whining and the crying. And so being able mm -hmm. to regulate oneself, which I'm honestly still working on. Um, How do you do that? Uh, I'll let you know when <laughs> I figure it out. Wait, you don't have all your shit together? No, that's why I'm on the podcast, right? <laughs> like, that's why this is supposed to help me figure it out, obviously. <laughs> well, it just ends up being like, um, I know that the the value of being able to self-regulate, the, the value of being in balance, because I will always think with my heart first. And you know that about yourself. Like, that's important. Yes. So one of the Enneagram things about the triads is heart, mind, and body. I'm a heart person. My husband, he stole my husband. He is a mind person. We butted heads so much because he thought it was superior. He had literally said to me, I'm not going to validate your feelings. Several, oh, several times. That's red flag. Yeah. Like a banner. Like a banner <laughs> over a castle. A crimson um, banner. Of, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. My therapist likes to remind me, what is your body telling you? Because I do find myself in, occasionally getting those like anxiety stomach aches. Yeah. I do occasionally find myself getting headaches, paying attention to those things. Like when I had, I don't know what they call them, PTSD reactions, flashbacks, like yeah. when my husband did when he would come up to see his children, which he's been doing visits once. And I had a really bad reaction when like he tried to touch me, not even necessarily inappropriately, but in context inappropriately, if that makes sense, being aware of how that made my body feel. And now I had like an out of body experience where I looked down from the sky and watched myself like scream and like throw a tantrum, but like I was not in control of my body. That's scary. Just it was a whole roundabout way to say being in balance because I can always be heart first, 
but you have to try to keep it balanced because like while I have a lot of feelings, I don't want to become my feelings. I don't want to be yeah. like I am sad. Like I have sadness. I am sad right now, maybe. That yeah. I don't let any of those things control me and that I'm I'm gonna walk forward thinking, how does this make me feel always for the rest of my life? But that, that doesn't mean I have to neglect what am I thinking about this? What is my body doing with this? Do I need to get off my butt and take action? Because I'm bad about that. I've always struggled with indecision. Because um, it's always been like the third. It's been like the number three out of three. It's like doing, taking action and yeah. doing things. It is all about balance. And yeah. it's really powerful to know yourself. And, you know, that's a starting point. Like to know yourself. I mean, for some, it's not a starting point. It's like a whole life goal. It's just to know yourself. Also, I, I think it's funny that we've come full circle to land on this concept of holisticness, like because of the school we went to. <laughs> what did they say? Spirit, mind and body. Honestly, it's not a bad idea. It's they not made it very cliche. And they they made it cliche and kind of weird sometimes because just so everyone knows who was listening, um, we had to take PE classes every semester. Now, to be fair, some of them were fun. Like, if yeah. you got in early enough, you could take bowling. I took equestrian because I never got to be a horse girl because I wasn't rich. I was, like, an aspiring horse girl. <laughs> so then in college, I got to, like, live out my dreams and learn how yes. to actually ride a horse. Yeah, they had the right idea. They were kind of weird about it, but they had the right idea. I just think it's really interesting because, like, I try to take the positive from any situation. And obviously, you know, I dropped out of that school a couple years after we met. And I'm, I'm no longer a believer personally. But, like, I... I still had a lot of really poignant moments there and you know some of the stuff still I still carry with me and that um I think it's funny that that you've reached the conclusion of like being balanced cuz they definitely taught that to us there. Well, it's funny. I actually worked there for a couple of years as well. I was still working there when I got married and then my next job was when I worked at the high school and then I quit to become a mom and now I work at a restaurant and I'm severely overqualified because I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. <laughs> oh, life. Life is weird. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, anything you want to end on or anything you feel like we missed? I mean, I don't know, more so making a statement that it is okay to be seen and it is okay if you don't feel seen yet. It will happen. You might have to you might have to find the right person, you might have to find the right therapist, you might have to find the right boyfriend, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> it is okay. The stage that you are in, you are just living there right now. Yeah. It is just right now that you're there. Someday you might look back and you know think that was horrible. So you might look back and think it was amazing, but it's just one part of your life that you're living live in it while you are there and look around and just kind of try to take the Ferris Bueller approach <laughs> and not miss it. Because yeah, just like as you were saying earlier, Christina, like there's beautiful things that come out of that mm -hmm. of out of any time period. And it's okay if you don't find them right now. You don't have to bring roses into everything. It's okay if you feel like you're being stabbed in your heart literally every day. Yeah. But it is also okay if you feel fine. Just you are okay. You are an amazing <laughs> example of that. Like having been to jail and, you know, coming out with this really inspiring story and, you know, acknowledging that you're still figuring it out, of course, but no situation is black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> I know it's no. like getting late over there. Oh, no, it's okay. I think Talia ate 
six Oreos <gasps> while I was doing this. It was worth it. Yeah, it's all right. We don't. No, we don't do this all the time. And she's gonna go to bed soon. Maybe I, if I eat six Oreos, I could cure my insomnia. <laughs> you know, if that worked, you could make a lot of money by okay. apparently hawking Oreos. So I'll, I'll take the Enneagram and then I'll get back to you on the cookie plan. <laughs> All right, cool. You do that. But yeah, I always, so for Enneagram, you go take a quiz and just don't take it as gospel. Like look at, well, I guess for you, anti-gospel, ungospel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it with um, a grain of salt. Look at, right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you take take a quiz to kind of get like a baseline because there's nine numbers you could be and that's not even including any sort of wings oh boy, like get like wings? a like a top three yes that's like a that's a whole other conversation oh my god yes give me homework yes for sure all right thank you so much <laughs> it was so good talking to you after all these years and um i'm really proud of you well i appreciate you for kind of blazing this trail of having other people talk and you talking like, and honestly, not, I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, we're just bragging on each other, but. <laughs> Isn't that what all podcasts like turn into? <laughs> so at least like for you, like your boldness and asking for help really did inspire me as well, because I have always tried to be like, you know, like use metaphors and veil things, not make things public because it's awkward to learn <sighs> even more about the story that doesn't happen. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate it, and um, you're an inspiration to me, too. And, I mean, I think as long as we can help each other struggle through, that's all you can ask for. Exactly. Well, talk with me anytime. (laughs) Yeah, same. All right. Good night. Good night. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook. You can also email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.